Let me add my welcome to you this afternoon. It's great to be together, great to see you. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word and expect him to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the speaking and the living God. And we ask that we will hear you speaking to our hearts this afternoon, encouraging us and showing us the beauty of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Abraham Feruzi. Abraham is an Iranian believer who's been arrested multiple times and has spent up to six years in prison. He's been arrested on various charges, including things like propaganda against the Islamic Republic of Iran, or launching and directing evangelism, sharing our faith in Jesus with other people, running a Christian website, actions against national security. The list kind of goes on. Uh, Abraham has uh, at various kind of appeals and trials has been beaten and has gone on hunger strike to raise awareness of his situation. At one of his trials, he managed to get a statement out to the world's media to raise awareness of what was happening. And in that statement, he notes God's promises to those who remain faithful to him. He asked for prayer to stay strong in the face of persecution. Here are his words. Jesus is our example, the saviour who came among us to be crucified and save us. We sometimes have to sacrifice our freedom to live in God's love. Abraham would have fitted in well in Smyrna. See, Abraham knows that Jesus died and rose again. He knows that it's worse to deny Jesus than it is to be arrested. He knows that Jesus rewards those who stay faithful to him. Friends, the risen Lord Jesus wants us to know those things together this afternoon as well. That's exactly what he's saying to us in these words originally written to the church in Smyrna in modern-day Turkey that we're looking at this afternoon. It was specifically a message for the church in Smyrna. It was particularly relevant for their situation And in light of the fact that the city of Smyrna had gone through its own life-after-death resurrection experience, having recently been destroyed and rebuilt. But it is, of course, a message for us today. It's a message that is an encouragement for us not to be fearful in the face of death, if that is what Jesus calls us to, but faithful even to the point of death, because Jesus is Lord over death. And our task this afternoon is just going to work through each of those different elements of the message of the church in Smyrna to reflect on it and pray at home to our heads and to our hearts. If we hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches here, we will be well equipped to prosper spiritually as we live for Christ in, frankly, a difficult world. We'll be reminded that we follow a crucified and risen Saviour, that his experience is now to become our experience as we die and rise will be encouraged, forewarned, forearmed to stand firm, just like Abraham, when days of persecution and opposition and hostility come to us, which, friends, they surely will. But maybe you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. Well, if you pay attention to what Jesus is saying, you'll go a long way in grasping what Christianity really is all about. And why Jesus is essential for our lives today. 
So with those things in mind, let's turn to this message from the risen Lord Jesus and think firstly about how Jesus encourages us to not be fearful in the face of death. Don't be fearful in the face of death. Life was hard for the Christians in Smyrna. It was not easy to be loyal to Jesus while living in that city. Jesus knows this in verse 9 in our reading. Jesus refers to their afflictions and their poverty. In that same verse, he refers to the slander, or more idiomatically, the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, Most likely, those things were combined in some way. Uh, In the culture of the day, the first century, it was really hard to be involved in a business and make money without also being involved in the city guilds. It's kind of a little bit like uh, our trade unions today. We've heard lots about that, haven't we, in recent months? Uh, It's hard to be a doctor or a nurse or a train driver without being part of a union. The union kind of gives you a sense of identity and you're bound to it and you kind of work together. It's kind of like that in the first century with the city guilds. But being involved in those guilds meant often joining in with, frankly, suspicious religious activities and having to give your allegiance to idols. And so it seems that the Christians in Smyrna are taking a stand against those kinds of things, that they're separating themselves out from the guilds, trying to go alone. And it's hitting them in their wallets. Profits are down. Business is drying up. Customers going elsewhere. And due to this stand, it seems again that the Jewish community are slandering these Christians before the city authorities, drawing attention to these rebellious and troublesome Christians who aren't going along with what everyone else is doing and are causing upset, accusing them of being a threat to the social fabric and the good order of society. Life is hard for the Christians in Smyrna. And it's not going to get any easier. Maybe you noticed that as the letter was read out. There's no immediate let up on the horizon. Jesus warns in verse 10 about what they're about to suffer. Worse is yet to come. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the news. Verse 10 again. uh, The devil, uh, the great enemy of God and God's people, will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Being put in prison sounds pretty bad to our ears. Much worse for first century ears. Because prison was simply often a holding pen on the way to execution. It was a stopping point on the way to death. That is the serious prospect facing some from this church in Smyrna. The devil will unleash persecution against these Christians to test them. And yet, what is Jesus' encouragement to them? Again, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't be fearful. In the face of death, Jesus says to these believers. How on earth is that possible? Everything within us kind of struggles to process that, doesn't it? Well, Jesus urges them not to be fearful in the face of death because of the limited duration of their suffering. It's 10 days. It's an extended period, but not an open-ended period. That's the point of 10 days. It's symbolic of a limited, if real, period of time. 
It's not going to go on forever, Jesus says. And that can help. Uh, Way back before the summer, uh, some, some of us here were involved in revision for exams. And revision is never a nice experience, particularly in the summer. You'd far rather be out hanging out the park with your friends. Uh, and it's not easy, it's, 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 it's not nice to, to, to forego those experiences and have to suffer as you revise and work hard. But you know, even as you're revising, it's not going to go on forever. Exam day will come, and then you can forget all the things that you spent months learning. Jesus warns, similarly these believers, they will suffer persecution for ten days. Jesus is ultimately in sovereign control of the amount of time that they do suffer persecution, even if mysteriously the devil is also at work. And also, they don't need to fear in the face of death because of their spiritual standing. Did you notice that? There's a real kind of play here. They don't have much in their wallets. And yet Jesus says they have something far more precious. Verse 9, you are rich. Like really rich. Like truly rich. Spiritually rich. Because you know Jesus, the Lord of time and eternity. You are bound to him by faith. He claims you as his own. You are his, dearly loved and wonderfully rescued by his grace. You are rich. So hard as it is, and, and, and it will be, don't be fearful in the face of death. That was hard being a Christian in Smyrna. Friends, it's hard being a Christian in Kenilworth, Coventry, Leamington, or wherever you call home this afternoon. People just don't get us. They think our beliefs are outdated at best and dangerous at worst. They find things we often hold dear to be distasteful and upsetting. And standing up for your faith in Jesus may cost you in some way. It may cost you in terms of money as you're passed over for promotion at work because of your religious convictions and refusal to cut corners to get the job done. It might cost you in terms of your reputation as you're known as the religious one that is the butt of many jokes. It might cost you in terms of your relationships as because of your allegiance to Jesus, friends cut you out of their social groups, unfriend you on Facebook, or your family disowns you. And it may even be that before too long, being a Christian in this country will cost us our livelihood and our freedoms even our lives, just as it did for our brothers and sisters in Smyrna, and just as it does for our many brothers and sisters around the world today, for whom that is a reality. And yet, even in light of that, Jesus speaks an encouraging word to us this afternoon. Don't be fearful in the face of death, he says. If that is what I called you to, hold your ground. Stay your course. Don't be fearful. How? By remembering Jesus knows. I think there's a sweetness in that, isn't it? Jesus knows. He he knows the ins and outs of our lives. He knows what's happening to us. He knows when we walk through hard days and how long they will endure for. He knows. He knows. He knows. And we can cry out to him because he knows. We can cling to him because he knows even if no one else does. We are not on our own. Jesus knows. 
And he wants us to know, not just that he knows, but that we are also spiritually rich. I hope we've tasted something of that as we've shared the supper together this afternoon. Something of that richness of being bound to Jesus by faith. Being claimed by him. Being, as we saw in uh, chapter 1, part of Jesus' kingdom. We're bound to him and bound to one another. We are rich friends. Wonderfully, beautifully loved. Recipients of grace and mercy. Knowing as we've sung, joy of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, and the hope of life after death. We really are rich, inexhaustibly rich in a way the world cannot understand. We don't need to be fearful in the face of death. I don't know how things will go for us as Christians in this country in the years to come. I'm not going to speculate. That's pointless. But it's not impossible to imagine things will continue to be tricky for us. That we might find it hard to be Christians and good citizens in the coming days. It's not beyond the reach of things to imagine that some of the claims we make about Jesus will get us into hot water and lead to us being cancelled in one way or another. But if that does happen, let's be ready. Let's be prepared. Let's stand firm. Let's take these words of Jesus to heart and let's not be fearful, even in the face of death. Don't fear in the face of death. The second thing the risen Jesus urges us to this afternoon, uh, as he urged the church in Smyrna, is be faithful to the point of death. Not fearful, but faithful. Just, there's the, the contrast. Not fearful, negative, but faithful, positive. Verse 10. Be faithful, Jesus says to these believers, even to the point of death. Hold on to your Christian confession, your Christian testimony, even when pressure comes. Stay loyal to me, Jesus says, even if it costs you. Be faithful to me. Identify with me. Keep your allegiance to me clear. Even if it costs you your very life. That's what Jesus calls us to. Faithfulness even to the point of death. And again, how on earth is that possible? That's beyond us. Well, Jesus makes two promises here that are sweet to us, that can help us stay faithful. Promise number one, look at verse 10. To those who stay faithful, Jesus says, he will give life as the victor's crown. It's an image taken from the athletic contest of the day. The winners in races were given wreaths to wear on their heads as a sign of their triumph. Think of it as like a first century Olympic gold medal. Jesus promises a victor's crown, a, a, a victor's wreath, to those who win and are faithful. And what is the crown? Life. Resurrection life. His life shared with us, working its way out in transforming power. Life with him in the world to come. Life after death is promised to those who stay faithful, even to death. Promise number two. Jesus promises those who are victorious... And this is a promise that comes up all the way through the letters. It doesn't mean those who show amazing feats of spiritual power. Those who who overcome, who are victorious, are those who show, as chapter 1, verse 9 says, patient endurance. They're the ones who are victorious. Those who just plod on, following Jesus, faithfully honoring him day after day after day 
after day. That is the way to be victorious, friends. And the promise is that if we are victorious, if we overcome this temptation to fear and stay faithful, verse 11, we will not be hurt at all by the second death. What does that mean? Well, some of the images here in chapters 2 and 3 are borrowed from later on in the book of Revelation. And the second death is that awful state that will be experienced by all who reject Jesus when he comes. It is the fate of being under God's terrible, righteous anger and judgment for all eternity. But, the, but those who show faithful allegiance to Jesus, even if it cost them their lives, in that act show that they really do know Jesus. Otherwise, they wouldn't do that. They really do love Jesus. Otherwise, they'd save their skin. They really are bound to Jesus. And so they can be confident that they will never, ever be hurt at all by the second death. Those who show faithful allegiance to Jesus, even if it costs them their lives, enjoy eternal life and are spared eternal ruin. That's how it's possible for these Christians in Smyrna to be faithful to the point of death. And it wasn't uh, empty words Jesus was speaking here to the church in Smyrna. A few years later, in February AD 156, a vicious storm of persecution broke out in Smyrna against the church. This is a man called Polycarp. Brilliant name. I suggest it is a, a, a good pet name. Uh, he was a bishop of the church in Smyrna, a church leader. And he, in 156, was dragged along with other Christians before the city authorities, where they were charged, pressured, urged to worship Caesar. That was a kind of cultural practice that was going on at the time. These Christians, these Christians were pressured to confess Caesar as Lord, uh, alongside a belief that, that Jesus was also Lord. But that was something that Polycarp and the other Christians in that city could not do. They knew that there was one Lord, one Lord alone, and his name was not Caesar. His name was Jesus. But a belief like that, that didn't acknowledge Caesar as Lord, was dangerous, threatening to the status quo. And so the city authorities pressured Polycarp and other believers, confess Caesar as Lord, or you die. Swear to Caesar, they said, and we will release you. Curse Christ. And Polycarp said these moving words. Eighty-six years have I served him, that is Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was faithful. And he was martyred. Polycarp was a man who knew how and why to be faithful to Jesus to the point of death. Now, friends, we, we may not be called to that level of extreme uh, uh, stand for Jesus in our, in our culture. That is a call that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do face. And friends, let's pray for our persecuted brothers where these things are much more real and pointed than they are for us today. And yet we also hear that call to be faithful. Come what may to Jesus, don't we? Faithful. Over the garden fence. <laughs> As we talk with a neighbor and share finally that we've been in church over the weekend. If they don't know that we come here week by week, let's be faithful. 
faithful to maintain our confidence in the goodness of what the Bible says about human flourishing in the areas of gender and sexuality against the background of a culture that hates some of those ideas. Let's be faithful. Faithful to seek to be a Christian in your workplace, treating others around you as those made in God's image, honouring them with kindness, with generosity, with respect. Let's be faithful. Faithful as you try and read the Bible with your children and pray with them each and every day as you seek to form them as young disciples of the Lord Jesus. Let's be faithful. Faithful as you work hard for Jesus in your studies at university, committing to thinking what it is to honour Jesus as you approach your subjects and not hiving off your studies and your spiritual life into separate realms that have nothing to do with each other so that Jesus is Lord of some of your life but not all of your life. He calls you to be faithful, to think about your studies under his lordship. Be faithful. Be faithful, not losing our confidence in Jesus. Even when life is hard. Friends, we need to be faithful. But let's be confident there's a victor's crown up for grabs. Life can be ours, is ours. So let's press into faithfulness to Jesus, come what may. Let's be faithful to the point of death. Thirdly and final thing Jesus says to the church in Smyrna that he says to us, which really sums up and brings together all these strands. All this is possible because Jesus is Lord over death. Given what Jesus says, it's no surprise that he refers to his own resurrection experience when he introduces himself at the beginning of the letter. Look at verse 8. He introduces himself to the church as the first and the last. The one who died and came to life again. Being the first and the last means that Jesus bookends everything. He's the Lord, the King, the the Supreme One. And specifically, he's Lord over death, having crushed it and smashed its power in his own wonderful resurrection. See, death did its worst to Jesus, but he broke it. He is risen. Hallelujah. He has conquered. Our Jesus reigns over death. You see, Jesus knows the cost of faithfulness. That's what we're being told. He was faithful, even to the the point of death. And now he's vindicated as Lord and Savior of all. So when he calls us to faithfulness, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't lived through first. He's not an armchair life coach. Dispensing wisdom that simply is unimpacting him. No, he's, he's walked the path of faithfulness first and it was profoundly costly. But he lives, he's risen, he reigns. And therefore it means that's possible for us too. He can enable and encourage and empower us to walk faithfully before him, even to the point of death. He is able to promise life because he is the Lord of life. He is triumphant over death and can urge us to not be fearful, even if the world does its worst. Let's not be fearful. Let's be faithful because our Jesus is Lord over death. And that's where it's fitting to leave our thoughts as we draw this part of our service to a close this afternoon. Maybe you're here this afternoon, as I mentioned, and you're not yet a Christian at all. And All this talk about losing your life for Jesus 
being faithful to death sounds madness or stupidity, frankly, to you. And it would be. Unless. You see, unless Jesus really is alive again after death, unless he really is the living Lord with all power, then it is madness to lose your life for him. It makes no sense. But if he is risen, it makes all the sense in the world. So how can we be sure that Jesus really is alive again? He really is Lord over death. Well, that's a bigger conversation than we've got time for this afternoon. But three quick, well-attested facts uh, that explain the events of the first Easter when, when Christians claim that Jesus came back to life again after, after dying. Uh, firstly, Jesus really did die on Good Friday. Secondly, his tomb really was empty on Easter Sunday. And it is my contention, and the church has confessed, that the best explanation of those bits of evidence is the simple yet shattering truth that Jesus is alive again. And he was seen by an impressively long list of witnesses who had nothing to gain by making the whole story of his resurrection up. He is alive, and and we should want him to be alive, because he alone can make sense of the threat of death that hangs over each and every one of us. Those things, very briefly, provide support for this belief that Jesus is alive again, the living Lord of all. And if you've never come to know this Jesus for yourself, what will you do with that truth, that announcement that you've heard this afternoon? Will you let it fall from your memory and walk away? If you do that, can I gently warn you that you risk, the face, you risk facing the second death unprepared and defenseless. You stand to miss out on so much. You're wandering away from the Lord of life who holds life in his hands. Far better to turn to him, trust he's alive again, and make him your Lord. He can give you life as the victor's crown. He can share that riches with you that we've been speaking about. That's eminently sensible because Jesus is Lord over death. And for those of us who already have responded to Jesus this afternoon, let's keep looking to him. Let's keep adoring him. Let's keep celebrating him. He is the risen one. We're bound to him by faith. He loves us. He shed his blood for us. He is with us. He's walked the path of faithfulness first. And as he calls us to walk that path, he can sustain us. And pour grace into our lives. We can keep walking in Jesus' steps. So that we're not fearful in the face of death. Don't be fearful in the face of death. Instead be faithful to the point of death. Because our Jesus is Lord over death. Abraham Feruzi needed to hear these words to the church in Smyrna. Polycarp of old needed to hear these words to the church in Smyrna. Friends, we need to hear these words to the church in Smyrna. Don't be fearful. Be faithful. Because Jesus is Lord over death. So as you finish, let me pray for us that we will have ears to hear, as verse 11 urges us, what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's set our hearts on receiving life as our victor's crown from our risen Jesus. And let's retain our confidence together that the one who is victorious 
who faithfully plods on with Jesus, come what may, will not be hurt in any way, in any sense, by the second death, because Jesus saves fully. May the one who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again, bless us and form this in us. Why don't we take a moment of quiet to pray, respond to Jesus in our hearts. Maybe something about a fear that we want to confess to him. uh, An area we want to know his grace to be faithful in. Or just to adore him as our risen one. And I'll lead us in a prayer after a moment of quiet. Our great and glorious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we rejoice to have reflected upon these amazing words this afternoon. Thank you that they are the words of your beloved Son, the one who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Thank you that that makes him uniquely qualified to speak these challenging things to us, Who but he could urge us to not be fearful in the face of death? Who else but he could enable us and stir us for that even to be possible? But we thank you that it is possible because Jesus lives and we are bound to him by faith and his spirit is at work in our hearts. Who else but he could call us to such a great cost of faithfulness even to the point of death? Who else but he claims our love and our loyalty and our full allegiance. Not part of us, but but all of us. In life or in death. I thank you that he is uniquely qualified and has that great authority and the, the great love to call us to those things. Father, please would you fix the eyes of our hearts and our minds ever more closely upon Jesus. Looking to him walking in his steps because he knows what it is to model faithfulness to the point of death and he can help us therefore we are not on our own he is with us in him we do have a suffering and kingdom and patient endurance encourage us with these things give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying we pray As we draw to a close, give us that great confidence, come what may, that the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Thank you for the great promise of life after death with Jesus forever in a new world. Help us to know that is true and certain and therefore to be bold in following Jesus and identifying with Jesus. Each and every day we pray. Forgive our fear. Help us to be captivated by Jesus and therefore walk faithfully before you. 
Help us to do that together, praying for and supporting one another. Thank you that we walk together as a family and not on our own. May together we know grace and help to live these things, we pray, in these days in which you call us to, because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.